God is blessing us in amazing ways. I think we, honestly, I think we have a baby dedication every Sunday till Christmas. It's just awesome to see what God is doing in this, and we're excited. TJ, thanks. That was just fun. Jen, God bless you. I don't know if you've ever had those times in life where you've been going so fast, so long, life has seemed to drain you in really noticeable ways, and you just want to take a deep breath. You just want to have something to replenish your soul. You want to take a drink of water, not physical water. You just want to take a drink of water, something that's just going to satisfy your soul. You've been giving out. People have been pulling from you. The kids are draining you. Life is draining you. The job is draining you. Life, because of the circumstances, the complications, has seemed to have drained the daylights out of you. And you just wish every once in a while you could stop and find somewhere, somehow, somebody, something that would satisfy and refresh and replenish your soul. Have you ever felt like that? Any of you feel like that today? One of the ways that God does that is he offers himself. No matter what we've been through or where we're at or what our journey in life is like or how difficult it is, God offers us himself. Not a representative, not somebody that we can get in contact with so that maybe if I wait long enough, I'll get through the line until I finally get the chance to see God. God offers himself. And so when I'm going through those deep waters and I feel like I'm drained and I feel like I can't go on and I feel like everybody in life is draining the life out of me, God offers me life. Awesome. He also gives us the opportunity in life to have relationships, to have friendships, to have people in our life who instead of draining us, refill us. Now, I hope that's in your mate. I hope it's in your small group. I hope it's in your life group. I hope it's in your family environment. I hope you get that from your mom and dad. Whether we know it or not or like it or not, our kids get the winds, wind sucked out of their lives almost every day when they go out into the world that we send them in. Those of you who are raising children, especially little children, I, I know you're waiting for that day when they can finally go off to school and you're able to sit and take a breath for a while or have an adult conversation or not cut up food. But you're also scared. Because all of a sudden, that little innocent one that's so tender and so sweet and so cute is going out into that world that's going to take its toll on them. And they're going to find that is really true. Maybe not in kindergarten or first grade or second grade, but somewhere along the way, they're going to say, wow. They'll never admit it, but I can't wait to go home. Because home is a place where I can find the wind being put back into my sails. Home is a place where I can feel the energy coming back into me. Home is a place where I can feel life coming back into me. I'm not sure what any of your careers are. Obviously, I know a lot of them. But every once in a while, I got to believe that you can't wait to get home because your job is so demanding, the people around you are so tough, the expectations are so high that you can't wait to get home just to find peace and encouragement and refreshment and life because you didn't find it today. Now, hopefully you're in a job that gives you life. You love what you're doing. You love the people that you're around. You love being a part of it, energizes you and excites you. I love Sunday. I love being here with you on Sunday morning. I see some of you through the week, but man, this is the one chance where I get to see my whole family. 
But by Monday, I'm drained. I'm exhausted. And I love the fact that in the relationship that I have with my mate, the wind gets put back in my sails and the energy that I'm looking forward to to get through the week and deal with all the issues and circumstances that come my way. Incredible. This morning, I want to talk to you about relationships. I want to use David and Jonathan as a model. We're in 1 Samuel 18 to 20. I'm not going to read all of it this morning. only going to allude to a couple of verses. Over the last number of months, we've been in an Old Testament series looking at some of the things these Old Testament characters can teach us. And when I looked at this, I thought, there is one segment of Scripture that I want to make sure we deal with. I'm not sure how much longer God has me in ministry, but David has been one of my favorite characters. And I found that 20 years ago, literally in 1995, I talked about David and I thought, I want to make sure that I talk about David one more time near the end of my ministry life, because I probably won't be here 20 more years. I mean, you don't want an 82-year-old guy coming up to the stage without any teeth, all the hair gone, wrinkled to death, sharing life and energy with you. I'm hoping I can do this for another few more years. But I thought David is one of the characters that I really want to make sure we explore again. And this particular story about David and Jonathan is phenomenal because it's a story of relationships that most wouldn't have seen, most never would have seen coming. If you were to ask David, sitting in a cave last week being chased by Saul, never asking for it, never wanting it, knowing that this guy has just brought three thousand soldiers up to kill him you would have never expected that he would have found a best friend in that guy's son and to be honest with you you got to believe that david really wants that because he's running for his life he's been in a cave he's been in hiding no one knows exactly how long he was there some of the psalms you'll see written from the cave there are a couple of places where david probably wrote those psalms one is this one out of the experience last sunday morning is one a few years later when he's going to be being chased by his sons and david just needed a place or a person that could satisfy and replenish his soul and he finds it in all places in jonathan you and i all somewhere through life want to have those kinds of places and those kinds of people and that particular person that is an oasis in the desert of life, someone I can unload on, someone I can trust. God desires to have community with him and he desires for us to have community with other people. One of the reasons we talk about life groups and small groups here because that's a part of one of the ways that God's designed for us to grow. A place where I can come to and be accepted and understood, where I can have a person in my life who's more than a companion but a confidant. Jesus had it. I need it. Hundreds of people followed Christ in his ministry life. Probably thousands. Most of them would have said, or at least a dozen, a ten dozen of them would have said, oh, Jesus, I know him. I've been with him. I saw him. I was there. I, you know, and they will talk about their relationship with him, but he didn't know them all well. There were 72 that he probably knew a little bit more. Luke 10 says he discipled them and then sent them out into ministry. And even though it says it in one short verse, I got to believe that there was some time invested into these 72 guys so that they could know what they're doing when he sent them out. And then there were the 12. The 12 out of this group and this group that he was probably the closest to, the ones that we're most familiar with. And then out of that 12 or three, their names are what? This is when you can answer a question. Peter, James, and John. And then out of those three, there was one that he was even closer to who told us how close he was to Jesus, and that name was what? 
John. John identified himself. I'm the one that Jesus likes the most. I love that. Three or four times he says that. I know all these guys think that Jesus is really their friend and he's closest to them and we're all this together, but I'm the one he loves the most. You who are siblings have said that to your other sibling at some point or the other, right? I know mom says she loves you. I know dad said he loves you, but I'm the favorite. That's exactly what John's essentially saying. And to be honest with you, it may have been true. Out of this large group of people, narrowed down to 72, narrowed down to 12, narrowed down to three, there was one that Jesus was probably honestly a little closer to than anybody else. Now, Jesus needs that. Didn't you and I? If Jesus needs those kinds of relationships where he can have somebody that he can trust and unload on and talk to and share with, don't you think you and I do? The problem in your sermon notes is there's things that push against that. One is the mobility of life. You know the average American worker is only keeping his job every four, transitioning his job every 4.6 years in your notes. Now, for those of you whose grandfather was at Armico and your dad was at Armico and now you've been at Armico for all of your life, or Armco, I've heard both, <laughs> now called AK, you're going, wow, now that can't be true. We've been a part of the Armco and AK family for the last 67 years. But it's... <laughs> But obviously, that's a butler view, because the rest of America is pretty transient. Now, I love the fact that Butler has been really blessed by God in the last number of years through all the economic downturns in a number of ways. We have the lowest unemployment rate of any county around us for years. It's awesome. But we're not always familiar with the people that transition on a regular basis. Here at a large church like this, there is a lot of turnover where people are changing and looking and and moving and, and all of that. But for most people who in our context see their whole life in a job as a career, the rest of the nation sees it as chapters. And the next chapter and the next. Did you know the average American person moves 11 times in a lifetime? Now, for those of you who've moved twice, that was twice too often. And the transition of that and the toll that it takes on you is a little bit tough. And the last thing you need in that context is to build deeper relationships, add it to a to-do list that is already pretty long. Especially when you're raising children and you're just tired, depleted, they're sucking the life out of you. You just want to have an adult conversation and not cut up somebody else's meat. And then we're talking about deep, intimate relationships within the context of a life group or something. You just say, I, I, don't, I just don't have time to invest in another thing on my to-do list. Now, of course, the third thing is obviously the attitudes of society, whatever they may be. They sometimes work against developing deep relationships like we're talking about this morning. Do your own thing. You can't trust anybody but yourself. Now, especially it's difficult if you've been burnt relationally. You've unloaded your life, you've talked about your stuff, you've talked about what's going on in your life, and somebody betrayed that confidence. I've been crazy blessed in the last few years with a small group that I've been a part of. You imagine the the difficult position I've put them in. They're in a small group with a senior pastor. And yet everything that I'm going to talk about in a moment, they've provided. And I trusted them with everything. But if you've been in a context like that where somebody violated that trust or you got burnt relationally, you had a good friend, a really good friend, a really best friend, and somewhere along the way they betrayed that relationship, it gets really hard to want to do that again. And so when we talk about relationships, you're going, been there, done that, I didn't like it. Even in changing churches, I've been blessed by God to have 
four amazing churches. Then I knew when God wanted me to transition. I knew when God was moving me on. But after leaving the second church, I had one of the people that were the closest to us said, look, I hear what you're saying. It's hard for you to move on. You've got to build new relationships. And I get all of that. But you have no idea how hard it is on us. Because I unloaded my life to you in the last six years. I told you everything. I did the same thing with Ray, Ray, the pastor before you. And now you want me to do that again with a new guy. It's hard. Men have an uphill battle in this area. After a decade of research, a professor from Yale University found that men rarely develop close, intimate relationships with one another. Years ago, promise keepers tried to move against that tide, but a lot of men are brought up with the attitudes that we don't have to have close relationships. Got a lot of friends, got a lot of people I know, but Lord, no, there's no way I want to go on a hunting trip or a fishing trip and share my feelings with these guys. We just don't do that. Guys just don't do that stuff. We're discouraged not to show emotion. Real men don't cry. Now, I consider myself a real man's man. I shoot, I hunt, I ride a Harley. But I'll be really honest with you. Do not tell anybody this, but I cry a lot. Not figured out how that happens. The other day, I looked at the list. I went to the store. I said, I'm going to take this for you. And I went to the list, and I come home, and I realized I forgot. So I'm going, sorry. I don't know how. And then of all things, Hallmark Christmas series is starting now. I mean, good night. I've been crying every single night for the last four nights, and they're telling me they're going all the way to Christmas with these things. Begging you, do not tell the guys that I hunt with that that's what I do. You don't say all of those things with guys who carry 12-gauge shotguns. You just don't do that. Just want you to know, I feel like I really need to share my emotions with you right now. <laughs> it doesn't go over well. But if we're really honest, we desperately need that and don't always take advantage of it. Men are told that it's a sign of weakness to talk about our needs. It's a sign of weakness to tell you we need help. When those of you who are married are driving somewhere and a guy gets lost, does he ever ask for directions? No. What does he say? We're taking a more scenic route. Took you two hours to get there, but it's a much more scenic route. David goes against that. He goes against all of those trends, with, regardless of mobility, regardless of the attitudes of society, regardless of what it's going to look like, regardless of anything else. He said, I need that. I long to come out of this cave figuratively and literally. And I want to come to a place where I can just be myself. Where I can let the mass down and be accepted and understood. And of all people, God brought him Jonathan. The guy was to be the next king. This guy's a prince. Saul's after David wants to kill him. David has already been anointed king. I've got to believe that Jonathan knows that and is okay with it. Look, if you're in line for that kind of a promotion, are you going to make sure that your best friend is the guy that has that job in mind and is going to eventually take that place? And yet here, Jonathan and David find themselves in a position where they can be honest and vulnerable and open and bring all the things to the plate that I'm about to talk to this morning. I'm going to look at relationships this morning and talk to you about five things that are necessary for great relationships. Now, I'm taking them out of this context here. Tons of other sections of Scripture that I could use. I'm trying to stay within this context here. But I want you to think of it in a couple of different ways. When you listen to these five things that I'm about to share with you, I want you to evaluate your relationship between you and God. Specifically, I want you to evaluate your relationship, if you're married, 
to you and your mate. To be able to say, oh, God has blessed us. Look, we have these things. Or to be honest with you, babe, we've got to grow in this area. This one is not where it needs to be. If you're dating and pretty serious about the person you're dating, I hope you look at all of these things and say, do I have that? It's not enough to say, whoa, is she hot? Or, whoa, is he good looking? I mean, he's got a man bun and everything. What more could you want? I'm not even looking around. (laughs) I mean, that's okay to say that, but oh my land, you want more than that. Let me be really honest with you. All that stuff's going to change. A few weeks ago, I went to a 40th college reunion. I am old as dirt. And I got there and I looked around at some of the people I went to college with and I said to my wife, boy, did they age. (laughs) Wow, did they get old. I did dare not go to any restroom at all where I was going to have to look at myself in a mirror because I was probably one of those. That's all going to change. What you want to make sure that you know, it's beyond the looks. It's beyond the exterior. stuff that is much deeper than that. Five ingredients. One is affinity. In column number of things, affinity is something we all learned in chemistry class. It's when some atoms from certain elements are attracted and come together with certain atoms from other elements and they bond. You all remember that from chemistry, right? You all passed chemistry with an A. Beyond what you see in the outside. It's a level behind just seeing someone and realizing there's something we have here in common. Now, there are two levels with that. You immediately understand that David and Jonathan found that in one another, but it went to the second level. The first level is service level affinity. It's where you share some common activity or interest with another person. Could be PTA, a church committee, a church ministry, could be sports. You enjoy being together, you enjoy working together, but usually the conversations are around the task or the event or what you're doing or what you're planning. It doesn't go a whole lot deeper than that. Men are classically known for having relationships in that context. Have a lot of people, we do a lot of stuff together, have a lot of fun, do all this stuff, but it pretty much where it stays. The problem with service level affinity is that when stress comes and problems arise and tension occurs, they're usually gone, or at least not what you're looking for. If you want a friend that sticks closer than a brother, as Proverbs 18 says, then you've got to go beyond that. You need to look for common, not activities, but common values. Where I'm willing to share my inner feelings and I'm sharing who I am and I understand who I am and I understand that they see that and they love that and accept that they're okay with that. The King James Version of 1 Samuel 18.1 says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. When you knit things together, you knit together strands of the same material. David and Jonathan both shared a deep, profound love for God, credible trust in one another, and a desire for the interest of the other person think about who they are for a moment a prince who should be the next king and the guy who is a shepherd who's already been anointed king who's being chased by his father hunted down like a dog and they're best friends his main interest was not in what i'm going to get out of life but who he is and what he needs The depth of friendship is usually determined by the depths of the common bonds that you share. I hope you have that in your marital relationship. That is well beyond who they look or how they look or what they bring in regards to all the things they bring to the relationship, but who they are at the very core of their being. 
When you're dating, I hope that you're looking for something beyond what I see on the outside, but who they genuinely are on the inside, deep at the core of their soul. Because when life gets tough and circumstances get tough and things get changed and you lose a job or you lose a child or you lose your income, I'm telling you, the things that are going to keep you together are that stuff that has you entrenched deep down in your soul. I've had couples come to me and say, well, he doesn't like church. He doesn't know much about God, but I think I can bring him in. We don't have the same values, but we we like to do some of the same things. Well, that's okay for a while, but that's not who you want to spend the rest of your life with. My wife and I are vastly different in some areas, a lot alike in some. Obviously, people always say opposites attract. Well, they do, and I get that because there are some differences in a lot of ways. My My wife's an excellent shot, but she wouldn't kill anything to save her soul. There are so many other things that we have found and the values deep inside that in 42 years of life and ministry and the challenge that it brings, we get getting stronger and stronger and more enjoyable the relationship. That's what you want to look for. Well, I think I can bring him in. In many cases, that happens. But I'll be really honest with you. In my experience in almost 40 years, it doesn't. And they end up drawing you away. Well, when we get married, then we'll decide what church we're going to go to and how we're going to raise our kids. I'm telling you, most of the time, you'll be coming alone. So don't wait for that or then to make sure that all this stuff that we know is going to bind us together and hold us together through thick and thin and all the storms of life is what's there. Second thing is acceptance. Romans 15, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you, which is the way God accepts us. I love the old hymn, just as I am. Without one plea, your blood was shed for me. So many people think before I come to faith in Christ, I got to fix my life up. I got to get my act together and then I'll come to faith in Christ. I love the fact that God takes us with all of our junk and all of our problems and all of our flaws. Doesn't expect us to stay there, but he takes us that way. It's like going to a used car lot and you see that little sign on there that says as is. And you take them for who they are. You're going to encourage them. God certainly doesn't expect us to stay there. He expects us to grow as you do as a parent. But a friend in this context loves at all times, no matter what. They love, accept, and understand us with all of our idiosyncrasies and all of our flaws. I read a story and I shared it in the first service years and years ago by the young man who was serving during the Korean War. Parents, obviously, because of the lack of context and contact in those days, hadn't heard from him in a long period of time. Finally, one day, they got a call after 10 months. Said he was in San Diego, California, headed home toward the East Coast. He said, Mom, I got a friend who's bad, bad damaged, and I want to bring him home to live with us. Said he's got, lost an arm and lost a leg. He said, all right, we can do that for a while. He said, no, Mom, you, you just don't understand. I want him to be with us. She said, well, we'll give it a try. Let's just for the next few months, we'll give it a try. He said, Mom, no, I want him to be with us forever. Son, you have no idea the sacrifice that's going to be. You have no idea how hard it's going to be for us to embrace that and put that into a part of our family and a part of our life. We just don't know if we can do that. And at that moment, the phone hung up. A few days later, they get a telegram saying that he had committed suicide. Casket was shipped back to the East Coast. When they went to identify their son, they saw that he was the one without an arm, without a leg. Even with our handicaps and our flaws, 
Isn't one of the things we long for the most in life to be accepted for who we are? And to know that someone is accepting us, not because they have to, but because they want to. That we have a friend who loves us at all times. Doesn't mean they approve of everything we've done. Doesn't mean we approve of everything our friends do. But we understand the model of Jesus Christ who offered love and grace and forgiveness. You walk through the New Testament, you'll be blown away with the people that flooded to Jesus that everyone else rejected. People that felt no one loved them, no one cared, no one understood, no one knew their, everyone knew their baggage but didn't like them because of that. They found acceptance and love in Jesus. Not that he approved of everything they did, but he always allowed them to come to him and they always felt free to come to him. Sadly, the religious people of Jesus' day couldn't do that. Remember the woman caught in adultery? The very first thing Jesus said when they wanted to destroy her with stones is that one of you who have not sinned cast the first stone and everyone walked away. It's a whole lot easier to extend the hand of acceptance and grace when with the other hand we're receiving acceptance and grace and forgiveness from Christ for the sins that we've committed. Now, after reaching that level, it's easier to go to the next level, which is authenticity. Great relationships in a marriage, in relationships as a friend, in a really solid small group, involves transparency, being honest, being real. It's who, when we, who we are in the inside matches how we present ourselves in the outside. When David met Jonathan, or Jonathan came to David, one of the things that I love about that story in those first few verses is that Jonathan took all the kingly robes off, all the princely robes off, in a sense saying, look, I don't want this stuff to come between us. I don't want it to be a barrier. I don't want you to worry about my title. I don't want you to worry about my background. I don't want you to worry about my family. Isn't it great to find somebody in your life, and hopefully you have that in your relationship, who isn't worried about whether or not you keep up a facade who just is taking you for you are, where you can be honest and vulnerable and open with. You can tell them everything and know that it's okay. Basically, David was saying, or Jonathan was saying to David, look, I don't want these things to come between us. There's a lot of people in life who are afraid to be really honest and open with their friends. Somehow afraid that their friends won't see them as they seem to be or pretend to be on a Sunday morning. Maybe not as spiritual as they thought they were. Friends aren't going to ask that much of them. Friends are going to be honest and open. And to develop deep relationships, it requires total honesty and openness. A number of years ago, God brought into my life a man named Jason. He is a, lives in Nashville, Tennessee and runs a ministry for outdoorsman and tries to help them understand how the church doesn't do a great job of welcoming men in because it seems like we're only interested in families and children. Jason invited me to a pastor's duck hunt. Now, there's not a whole lot of people that would want to do that, but I get a chance to be with pastors and shoot things. That's awesome. He invited me to a place called Boondocks, Arkansas. There's a couple pictures you're going to see up here, and when I got there, I couldn't see the, I couldn't I, I was pretty sure I wasn't at the end of the earth, but I thought I could see it from there. It was that remote. We had a ducks all morning. I mean, you could shoot three or four boxes of shells, just have a blast doing that. And in the evening, we had devotions. It was six Baptist pastors, one Pentecostal, and me. There's a joke waiting to happen right there. <laughs> On the second night, two of us decided to take an unusual risk, and we shared everything. Challenges of ministry, our biggest concerns of ministry, our flaws, our idiosyncrasies, all the stuff we were pretending to be in the first two days of being awesome men and great shots and good hunters and all that kind of stuff. Let down everything, talked about it all. Our biggest fear 
our biggest challenges and our biggest stuff inside. Went on for three hours. Jason and I drove back to Nashville. I had already driven down there from Arkansas to Nashville, a long conversation. He said, Dan, I've never seen anything like that in all my life. Where everyone felt that comfortable and that close, I still am in contact with some of these guys, to share everything. It can be one of the most refreshing times of your life. Friends, help each other bring out the best from one another. Romans 12, be devoted to one another in brotherly kindness. Honor one another above yourselves, which is exactly what Jonathan did for David and David did for Jonathan. Fourth thing is accountability. Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron, so does one brother sharpen another. Friends keep friends on the cutting edge of growth. They lovingly monitor that in your sermon notes this morning. They're honest about their flaws. They're honest about what they see. They come to them and say, look, I just want you to be really, I want to be honest with you for a moment, but how you responded, what you did, where you're at, the path you're going down, the things you're dealing with, it's going to hurt you. It's going to destroy you. I love you enough to tell you that. It's not a person who walks into your life and says, well, that was stupid. It may be true, but it's certainly not done with love. But having those kind of places or people in your life where you can be really honest about all that stuff and all those issues and all those problems and know they're going to hold you accountable to that is incredible. And finally, the fifth thing, Notice that line in your sermon notes. All of those, that accountability and that speaking the truth in love is done best when the other three ingredients are already in place or after the other ingredients are in place. And finally, number five, affirmation. I have a line in there from D.L. Moody that I heard years and years ago. I still think it's one of the best ever written. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. People have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. When you're a friend who's understood those first four levels and you really do that with people, you found that in your relationship with your mate, or you found that with your small group, you found that with an accountability group or a group of guys or a group of ladies that you can be with, you have one of the best platforms on the planet to encourage them to become more than they even think they would ever become themselves. I know my limitations, believe me. I know my weaknesses, I know my junk, I know my flaws. And I have a wife who's been with me for 42 years who saw all the stuff inside of me that certainly at 18 or 19, I never even imagined possible, who encouraged it and honored it and blessed it and brought out of me. You have the platform to be one of the greatest cheerleaders on the planet for the person that you're the closest to, who can bring out of them all that stuff that they don't even see yet and become all that God designed them to be based on what you've invested into their life. But all of those things need to be together. You're looking for a mate? I'd really look for these things. Those marriages that last for a lifetime... I've said it before, I say it again. Every 18, 19, 22-year-old that stands up here before me and says, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part, do you agree to that? Oh, yeah. You have no idea what you just agreed to. <laughs> Friday afternoon, I had the opportunity to do a vow renewal of a couple who had been married 30 years tomorrow. They wanted to do it, been wanting to do it for a while, and that was the one they chose, that 31. I love what they wrote to one another. And they were honest enough to say, 30 years ago, when we stood before a pastor and we agreed, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health, we had no idea what we were agreeing to. Now we know. And I'd still do it again in a heartbeat. 
You have no idea when you're 18, 19, 23, 27, what you agree to when you say that. I love to watch the ones who have these things in place, who now when they're poor and when they're sick and when they're weak, and when the bottom fell out and the job just got lost and the family member just died, and the child, whatever the circumstance may be, are so solid and connected to one another. And they get it. And they meant it. Now, I've had hundreds of couples, and you know as well, who didn't mean that. And when life got tough and they didn't have some of these things in place, went another direction. If you're dating, serious about marriage, serious about relationships, have some honest conversations with yourself and with God. Second thing I want you to remember is one of the reasons we pursue life groups and talk so much about life groups is they can provide a lot of this for you. My statement that I want to say is be careful not to expect all of that because you may be disappointed because it doesn't always happen. And sometimes you have to continue in that journey to try to find some of those things. But one of the best places, I've just been so blessed by the one I've been a part of for the last three years because I was able to do all of these things in my position. And they can be some of the most satisfying, replenishing relationships you'll ever, ever have. So when we talk about it and you hear us say it, try it. Be a part of one. Don't expect them to do all of that because that's a lot of weight for them to carry. But you may be surprised and find out they can offer that. The final thought is this. Jesus offers it all and then some. Yesterday after morning, I was in together with a membership class, about 30, 35 people in there. We were talking about what Christ offers at the end, and I just got so animated and excited when I thought, God offers us love and grace and forgiveness and relationships, the opportunity to start all over again, wipes our slate clean, forgives all of our sins, gives us relationships in the family of God. I have access to God himself, God himself, not a representative, not somebody else, God himself. And I get heaven too. What more could anybody want? But that's really true. What more could he offer than that? Love and forgiveness and grace, starting all over again, wiping the slate clean, offers us relationships in the family of God, offers us access to the God of the universe, and when we know Christ is our Savior, he offers us eternity too. Who wouldn't want that? But some refuse it. You may be here this morning and haven't embraced it yet. You know about God, you've heard about God, you know about life, you know what he offers, you've heard me talk. But you've never crossed over that line to say, oh, that's what I want. That's what I've been missing. I've tried it in a hundred other things and none of them gave what he offers and that's true. So invite him in. Let him in. It'll be the absolute best decision you've ever made. Let me pray for you. Father, you know everyone in the room. You know, their circumstances, their situation, you know what's going on in their life. And for that one this morning who, or a dozen, who's heard all of this, but they've never really crossed over the line. They've never invited you in. They've never said, that's what I need. I give my life to Jesus. May today be the day. You're here this morning when no one else is looking around and you know that's you. And you know you need Jesus. You want to cross that line. You want to invite him in. You've looked for it in a hundred other places, most of them the wrong ones, or at least haven't given what you're looking for. 
and you want to invite Jesus into your life, I'd love to pray for you. And so I'd just love you to raise your hand right where you're at. Okay, thank you. Now, maybe you're one of those that are in the, the next category where it's just like, man, I want to find those places. I want to find that group. I want to find that friend. I want to find that mate. I want to have those few people in my life that can offer that. Would you just pray that I find it? I'd like you to raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. Obviously a lot more. God, you know the hearts and you know the needs. You know who would best fit what they're looking for and what they need. And so, Father, in your sovereignty and your amazing grace, I trust that you will provide that and that you will lead them, maybe through trial and error, but lead them to the right place and to the right person who would satisfy their longing and they would find what we talked about this morning in you. For that one who's dating, God, in the name of Jesus, may they honestly look and evaluate where they are and if this is the person that fits what you have embraced and what you have called and what you have talked to to spend the rest of their lives with. Speak to them. May they be honest with themselves. For every marriage in the room that really wants this, maybe doesn't have it, help them to be really honest with one another and grow. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You're amazing. And your attention, I appreciate that more than your, my words will ever tell you. So thank you very, very much. If I can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can pray with you, if we can help you in any way beyond today, please let us know. Come here today and talk to me. I don't make it to the door. I'm here. If you want to talk, I'd love to do that. Have an amazing day. Next week, some incredible things out of 1 Samuel 30 that David teaches us about how to deal with the storms of life. See you then. And the enemy